NCFM Today, a podcast about family medicine in the Old North State. I'm your host, Greg Griggs. This month, we're focusing on the Family Medicine Workforce Pipeline in North Carolina, specifically two efforts we co-sponsored with the North Carolina AHEC program in early April. First, the two organizations co-sponsored the first ever Family Medicine Academic Summit bringing together faculty members from our state's departments of family medicine and our state's family medicine residency programs. Second, for the first time in over 24 months, we were able to bring medical students back together to learn about family medicine at what typically is an annual family medicine day featuring a residency recruitment fair and a series of workshops where students can learn about family medicine. First, Let's highlight a few of the activities at the Academic Summit, where nearly 60 faculty members from across the state gathered. The summit, chaired by Dr. Lisa Cassidy-Vu and Dr. Victoria Baggiano, featured a series of interactive educational sessions. Topics included the new ACGME guidelines for family medicine, what residency programs are doing to educate trainees about medication-assisted therapy and to help combat opioid use disorder, a discussion of FMLA guidelines in residency programs, how to further your career as a junior faculty member, and leading up in an academic setting. Several residency faculty provided updates on new residency programs or rural tracks aimed at attracting more family physicians to rural areas of the state. The first day of the summit was highlighted by an enlightening keynote by North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services Secretary, Cody Kinsley. Let's listen to an excerpt of his presentation now. Last but not least, no one can come out of these last two years, look around and think that workforce is not an issue. Good news is Hugh is going to fix it, and that is that. Okay, the, uh, in all seriousness, you know, health, workforce, first and foremost, health, healthcare workforce. You know, th- I started with thank you, I will say thank you again. You know, our healthcare workforce has been pummeled by wave after wave after wave of this pandemic. Our hospital workforce has seen firsthand and been frustrated with the 70% of people coming through the door who are unvaccinated. It's so incredibly challenging. And we were on borrowed time already. We had plenty of nurses ready to retire and direct care staff that was woefully underpaid and all sorts of other things that were happening. And, you know, we have to turn to that. We have to invest there. We have to make a difference. We need to plug holes and build a pipeline. And it's a process. And so I know And as I was coming in, you were talking about how do we get more doctors into rural communities? What does that look like? Last time I was up at Mayhack, we were talking about how do we build strategies, teach, you know, how do we actually deliver integrated care in rural communities? What does that look like? How do you wrap services around there? So there's plenty of things that we have to do there. The other thing about workforce is that, again, social determinants of health, we know that work is perhaps one of the most promising drivers of health. We've got a lot of people with chronic disease or who are in recovery from various things who have no path back to employment because of a lot of other issues. 
And we have a lot of people with disabilities who are systematically left out of the workforce, right? We've got employers who are poaching from other employers, paying 15, 20, $30,000 signing bonuses and increased wages and leaving people with disabilities out that with some reasonable accommodations, likely cheaper than those costs, would make a huge difference. It's a win-win-win. So this is such an opportunity for us. And it's weird, you know, look, I've been talking about this with some other groups, but y'all are my favorite. And, and everybody's like, why is the health and human services guy talking about workforce? Well, first off, I feel like I can't not because of health and the healthcare workforce, but also because for each of these things, I hope you see that these are our most strategic investments that we can possibly make right now. They are our biggest gaps. They are where our resources will go the fastest and the farthest. And there are many underneath all of this, many objectives, all of which are beautifully tied to Healthy North Carolina 2030, to try to help drive and make a difference. Okay, I'm almost done. So as I envision a world in which we not only recover, but we recover stronger, I see us, you know, when, when we were responding to COVID, we were very intentional about investing in strategies that were not just about responding to COVID, but building systems for the future, right? The data infrastructure that we built with COVID money, guess what? We can leverage for other systems. The CVMS system for other systems. The blah, blah, blah for other systems. You know, with the, we stood up our Hope for NC helpline, 1-855-587-3463, that you can call if you need to talk to someone about behavioral health needs. We paid a lot of money to build a lot of systems around that, that now we just get to change the phone number and we're ready. So I'm all about how do we spend our money wisely and how do we invest. And these are our key strategy areas that will prioritize the efforts in our strategic plan and our areas of focus. And I know this group will get right into the weeds with me. And there's a whole lot under this that we can talk about and I look forward to working on. But this is I, what I want you to walk away from this is the why and the theory of change and the approach and the framework. And we can talk about the details. Last thing I'll say that I've alluded to at the beginning, but this is my little sandwich, is there is not one thing that I've talked about tonight that would not be made better by Medicaid expansion. You know, people are like, how does the Treasury guy end up working in health? You know, I have spent my career in the mix of health policy and government operations. I have been at HHS, I have been at DC Department of Human Services, I was at the White House doing a lot of other labor issues, including student loans, and a variety of other things. And what I can tell you that I hate more than anything is wasting money. So let's think for a moment about Medicaid expansion and the story that North Carolina has wasted money. So like the last decade of missed opportunity on Medicaid expansion would equate to roughly $40 billion that would have been coming into the healthcare system. So I think about workforce and behavioral health workforce and all these other things, what difference would that have made for folks? At the same time, and this is when I was in McDowell County and when I'm in local communities, when 70% of people in jails have substance use disorder, and when I see more and more families ending up in the foster care system and their fam, their parents have no path back to recovery or care or sustaining that and they're struggling with a chronic illness, 
I think, oh my gosh, all the costs of not having Medicaid expansion are clearly being paid for by our local communities. I see not having Medicaid expansion as the greatest unfunded mandate that the state legislature has ever put on our local county commissioners and sheriffs. And last, but certainly not least, from a financial perspective, is the fact that right now there's a unique opportunity. I think everybody probably knows about this, but this is my favorite thing to say, which is, you know, if we expand Medicaid right now, well, here's a couple numbers. So everybody's familiar that we've got some more people on Medicaid right now than we usually do. We've got about 500,000 people on there because of this public health emergency status. That's gonna go away soon. We're gonna have to redetermine those people and pull them off of Medicaid. There's about 200,000 people on there that could stay if we had expanded Medicaid. So my hope, and this is why time matters, is we can get Medicaid expansion done soon. Because I'd love for those 200,000 people not to be ripped out of care and for us to live, because as you all know, it's much harder to get someone back and stabilized than it is to maintain. But the other thing is that right now, the other reason we have to do it now is because the federal government has offered this thing that I call the signing bonus. Is everybody familiar with this? If we expand Medicaid now, we get a $1.7 billion signing bonus that can be spent on anything. On Tuesday, I was with county commissioners from across the state, and they're talking about how to use the opioid settlement money. $750 million over 18 years, 85% of which is going to local communities. It's thrilling. We've aligned it to evidence-based strategies. There's flexibility. I'm really excited for the opportunity. $750 million over 18 years? I can give you 1.7 billion in a second. All we have to do is do the thing that's already free and get the $4 billion in addition to it. Now, that's the financial argument. And that speaks music to my heart, my little treasury heart. But the thing that matters the most is the people, right? The lives that will have access to care, it's, change, it, it, you know, it's the moral right thing. It is the right and moral thing to do. And I hope that as you are talking to people about this, that you take with you from me the urgency of now. And you talk to your county commissioner friends, other local folks that you talk to, your house members, to realize that we got to do this now. The two conferences in one converge for a short time midday on Saturday for Dr. Karen Smith to inspire both medical students and faculty alike, discussing her leadership journey in family medicine. Here are a few excerpts from her presentation. And in the percent of people in poverty, there's a constant factor that remains in this equation. 
And this is the factor that brings us into health equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I could tell you that AFP is very much in tune to this, so much so that we now have a commission on just that, diversity, equity, and inclusion, so that we could try to answer and review some of the issues that are taking the, um, that, um, excuse me, some of the issues that we are dealing with in our practices every day. How do we take care of everyone that comes through our door and they actually feel embraced, that they feel part of the practice and that there's nothing different? And how do we deal with what we now know of as DEI? Drivers of change, wow. What in the world did COVID do? Now I put this up, our office was very much involved in terms of COVID education and vaccination and testing. We were very much involved in, and we saw what was happening. But I could tell you this area that we're sitting in right now, this county did very well in comparison to other counties throughout North Carolina. In my home county, we didn't do so well. And we saw unfortunately increased loss of life. And so when we had a pandemic slap down on our current healthcare economy, we were in dire straits in many areas and we had to reshape and redo and come back and try to address those issues. When we look in terms of what is high quality primary care, what does that mean? How do we define that? And the solutions, we're going to hear more of it because the conversation will occur. When we look in terms of, you know, we've kind of went through the brief history in terms of what primary care was. Let me get down to the integrated primary care delivery. Having behavior health in the primary care, isn't that what we do as family physicians? We do behavior health. How, how do we integrate medication-assisted treatment, taking care of someone who has opiate use disorder, taking care of someone who has depression and anxiety? How do we do all of that and embrace it in our practice? And that's what we're talking about in terms of the integration, but not only that, making sure that our payers recognize that and getting paid for that. And then that also in terms of how are we going to digitalize primary care, healthcare? I was just sharing um, with one of my colleagues who used it in North Carolina Health Information Exchange and how I can now pull in records from the VA and I take care of military in my practice. That information is available to me. It does make a difference. Um, our primary care measures, and I'm gonna talk more about that. Why are they so important? Uh, be able to identify what are those measures that make sense, what we call meaningful measures. And when we look at workforce, that is so vitally important. And so for us to be here today, to have you come and hear what family medicine is all about and put your hands into some of the things that we do every day and walk away with feeling good about what you're going to be doing for people in the future, this day matters. energy of the day came as over 70 medical students embarked on a series of 15 workshops, with each student attending four workshops throughout the afternoon. The workshops, taught by faculty and residents at the state's family medicine programs, 
range from what to expect your intern year to point-of-care ultrasound to knee exams to practice models. Each workshop lasted an hour and 15 minutes to provide in-depth, hands-on education to the medical students. At the end of the series of workshops, a reception and residency recruitment fair was held, with students having plenty of time to learn about all of our state's exciting family medicine residency programs. We had a chance to get comments from both a few of our program faculty members and a few medical students to learn about what it meant to them. Here are some of their responses. Hello, my name is Maron Fesahaya. I am a current fourth year at Wake Forest School of Medicine. I'll be graduating class of 2023, and I really appreciated attending today's events as an aspiring family physician. I'm from North Carolina, and I have a strong desire to stay in this state to train and practice. And it was really wonderful and affirming to meet physicians and residents and future colleagues, other students who are you know, have similar interests. I attended a workshop on LGBTQIA health, and that is an interest of mine, and it was wonderful to learn from a physician who practices in that area and learn, you know, key pearls of what to do and what not to do, and also attending the fair. I got to network, which is really wonderful and kind of surreal because I'm very excited to apply to residency and be at this place in my career. Hi, my name is Justin Chan. I am an MS3 at Duke uh, School of Medicine. I uh, just finished attending uh, the uh, Family Medicine uh, Day meeting at hosted by NCAFP. I had a wonderful, wonderful time um, meeting different uh, faculty at uh, different residency programs, as well as uh, learning about things I can do as a med school student uh, to uh, learn more about family medicine. Uh, it was a great time meeting all of the, uh, you know, the variety of uh, people, uh, either med school students, residents, and uh, faculty who practice in different uh, practice settings. So uh, I'd recommend it to anyone considering uh, family medicine or even uh, interested in other specialties. It's great to get this exposure. What was your favorite workshop that you attended today? Uh, my favorite workshop was um, the interview 101, which uh, talked which talked about uh, what to consider with the upcoming applications, uh, current changes, as well as uh, letters of recommendation, what resources we should use. It's something that uh, we get very limited exposure to um, on a regular basis. So it was great to have a, a comprehensive discussion with a lot of people um, on the same track and with faculty and residents in the same room. Hi, I'm uh, Ty Elliott, Program Director at Southern Regional Area Health Education Center in Fayetteville, North Carolina. The program here with the North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians is an awesome program. It allows us the opportunity to see medical students within North Carolina and within South Carolina um, from the schools. And it's an opportunity for us to um, possibly have students that are going to stay here in North Carolina and, and able to serve our communities within North Carolina. And it's a great opportunity to possibly um, allow those students to see what residency uh, are available here 
here in North Carolina and, and see the variety that they can have um, within their own state here in North Carolina. It's a- it's also um, great that we have the funding through the AHEC to allow for us the, to have this opportunity for the, for the medical students to come for um, this fair. They're able to learn a lot through various workshops that we do within the residency, kind of highlighting our areas of interest. What workshop did y'all teach today from the Southern Regional AHEC? Yeah, we taught um, long-acting reversible contraception um, for our students. They had the opportunity to um, learn about um, LARCs and learn about how to place those um, devices. And they even got to go home with training kits to show their colleagues and possibly pass on that knowledge that they gained today. I'm Regina Bray-Brown. I am the program director at Harnett Health uh, Family Medicine Program uh, affiliated with Campbell University. North Carolina um, students are a huge part of our residency program. We our, our main mission is to train people who are interested in staying in the area, and this is a great venue. NCAFP's uh, Medical Students Day is a, a great uh, venue to recruit from all programs within the state. Um, this really is the only recruitment fair we participate in regularly um, because we are a small program and so many programs cost a lot of money. So it, we greatly appreciate all of the funding that AHEC provides to um, support this, this great recruitment venue. How many students do you think you saw today? We probably saw about 15 students in the residency fair portion, um, but we had great interest within our workshop. Uh, We did OMT for low back pain, and we had a mix of both osteopathic students as well as allopathic students. Um, And a lot of the allopaths showed interest in osteopathy, and for some of it was the first time that they were really exposed to it. So um, I think they were all uh, really interested in what we have to offer. I'm Aaron Lambert. I'm the residency director at Cabarrus Family Medicine Residency Program in Concord, North Carolina. I'm also the chair of the residency directors committee for the North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians. I am here because I really believe in showing students how amazing a career in family medicine is and uh, value education and want them to be the best physicians that they can be. How does an event like this help you in terms of recruitment and in terms of your pipeline to our North Carolina residency programs? Well, nothing can replace that uh, human contact and the, the physical touch of a handshake and looking someone in the eye and getting to talk about what you do and what you have to offer. And I think being able to do that in person is uh, so very valuable both for us but also for the students so that they can make well-informed decisions. And you also, your residency program taught a workshop today for the students. What did y'all teach about? 
So we taught something that they wouldn't normally see on their board exams. We did a wilderness medicine session about how to triage uh, victims of a disaster in the field when you have limited resources and working remotely. Um, it's a skill that I think is important for every family physician because when you are part of a community, everyone knows what you do for a living, uh, but we don't always train doctors to work outside of the four walls of a clinic. Um, so we were working on that today. Uh, this is David Brendel. I'm the Associate Director at Mayhack Boone Family Medicine Residency. And um, this is my first time to the summit and, and the uh, Family Medicine Day, and it's been just a wonderful experience. It's, uh, I guess, one with... COVID having gone on for the last couple of years, it's nice to congregate with um, uh, other family medicine uh, faculty. Um, and it's also nice to see the students and the enthusiasm that they have um, to become family medicine doctors. Um, and uh, I think it's just been a really good experience all around. My name is Delise Bright. I am the program director at Carolina's Medical Center Family Medicine Residency in Charlotte, North Carolina. This NCAFP Family Medicine Day is hugely important. It is such a great opportunity for medical students in North Carolina, around North Carolina, to really get a glimpse of the full scope of family medicine that each of the programs bring. They also get a, very, a, a great bird's eye view into how great family medicine is within the state. We are very fortunate to have a state full of excellent residencies for family medicine training and understanding the different nuances of each program. So it's such a great way for students who are thinking they might want to do family medicine to come and learn more. And those who have decided that I want to do family medicine to have that reinforced. So important. Is this a good recruitment tool for you? It is a good recruitment tool. I have had students over the years say, I met you at NC Family Medicine Day, or I saw you guys at uh, the State Family Medicine Day. And it has been a great, it's, it's all about building that pipeline. So whether we are talking to first year medical students who are just kind of perusing and thinking they want to do family medicine, or we see them again in their third year, well, we see them again on the interview trail. It's absolutely crucial. I'm Brian Elgart. I am a fourth-year medical student at UNC School of Medicine, uh, graduating in 2023 and going into family medicine. Um, today, I was able to gain a lot of knowledge that will give me the ability to care for my patients in a full manner that will give them the ability to lead the lives that they want to leave and be healthy in those lives. What did you find most interesting today? Um, today, I, I really appreciated how hands-on a lot of the exhibits were. Um, I worked with both the ultrasound and the knee injection exhibits, uh, and it gave me the opportunity to not only learn about a skill, but to actually gain the skill itself and do hands-on experience uh, that I hadn't done before. Where are you from uh, originally? 
I am from Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm born and raised in North Carolina. Went to East Carolina University for undergrad and now have been hanging out in the Durham Chapel Hill area for like six years now. Thanks again for listening to the April edition of NCFM Today. You can find NCFM Today on the Apple or Google stores, on Spotify, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. You can also find it on our website at www.ncfp.com. We encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple or the Google Store. Until next month, this is Greg Griggs.